0: Welcome to the I Create Daily Podcast. I'm Leora Alderson. And I'm Devani Alderson. We're your co-hosts on this journey of creativity and productivity.
1: I Create Daily is for artists in every genre of creating, from musicians to writers, crafters to inventors, bloggers to entrepreneurs.
0: I Create Daily is a movement for creators serious about your art. If you're into creating anything, this podcast is definitely for you. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of the I Create Daily podcast, a movement for creators serious about their art. I am Devani.
1: And I'm Leora. We're excited about today's show with the foremost expert on healthy wine. Todd White is founder of his company, Dry Farm Wines, the only health-focused natural wine club in the world. Todd has some radical health habits and amazing practices from a ketogenic lifestyle of daily fasting and feasting with wine to twice daily meditation and fitness. Todd's health and fitness practices are as intriguing as his entrepreneurial creator's story. Todd White is an entrepreneur with a phenomenal company culture, all of which we're excited to discover more fully here today, beginning with Todd's creative journey and ending with his fitness focus. But first and foremost, Todd is a visionary creator who says about his entrepreneurial endeavor, it's it's not a day of work, it's a day of creating. Welcome, Todd White of Dry Farm Wines.
2: Thank you. I'm happy to be here, and hopefully we can share some nuggets of wisdom with your audience today. So I'm excited to get started. We have a lot to cover in 45 minutes. I know, right. we do, but I Yeah, so let's
0: get going. So we first heard about your story on the Ben Greenfield podcast, where you mentioned that your journey started at 17. So we want to dive into how did you become an entrepreneur at 17, and what were some of your early ventures, and how did you get from there to dis- uh, going to your Uh, Discovering the organic wine industry and creating an incredible business with the Dry Farm wines. That's a big question. Well,
2: it's been a long journey. So I've been a creator. You know, I'm a business guy. I'm 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 really an artist trapped in a businessman's body.
1: (laughs) There you go. We love it.
2: And and so I'm not really. I don't like business. I like creating. I'm an artist. In fact, at my company today, and at all of my successful companies, of any in real real size, there's always been a business guy there who, or or woman in the case of my last business, who actually runs the business. Uh, I don't find business very interesting. Um, I like creating things. And running a business is very different than creating things. And this is a challenge for many creators, particularly like people who start one-person consultancies or agencies where, you know, it's very difficult because they just wanna create, and they wanna be free to create what they wanna create. Forgive me the background noise. I'm at my place at the beach down in Santa Monica. There's a plane oh, flying by.
3: Wonderful.
1: But,
2: um, which is why I also don't have a shirt on because it's quite warm down here.
3: I love it.
1: But,
2: uh, and there's no air conditioning at the beach. Oh, you know, okay. very, few pla- very few places have air conditioning. But so anyway, I began at 17. I've been an artist for most of my life, thankfully, and really driven by taste. I had been defined by the taste of things since I was just a small child getting up on a stool to cook alongside my grandmother and then started enjoying restaurants. And my parents would always you know, accuse me of ordering the most expensive thing on the menu, even as a kid. I was just interested in taste and I was interested in art and beauty. And so that was sort of the beginning of the journey. How I became an entrepreneur at 17, I dropped out of high school and uh, school was just not a great fit for me. Uh, I'm a student of life and a lifelong learner and a very curious learner, but I just didn't fit into that structure. Uh, my parents told me the day I dropped out of high school, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And I tell them years later when I was a very successful entrepreneur, the only thing I regretted about dropping out of high school was that I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> anyway, I was, my first business was quite simple. Uh, it was a car wash back in those days. I'm a little older, as you can see back in those days, you had full service gas stations and they had bays in them. One was typically where cars got worked on and the other one was where cars got washed. So I went to a local full service gas station near my home and, uh, and I offered to pump gas for free in exchange for use of the wet bay and I put up a sign and started washing cars. And that was kind of my first business of creating any value in the world. Uh, from there I had a landscaping company and from there I got into financial services, started selling employee benefits when I was 21 years old. And uh, so that's, that was sort of the journey and from there it, you know, my first real business I I would say of any real consequence I was 27 and um, it was in real estate services and from there um, so I've started about 10 companies. Two or three have been really very successful. Uh, several have been kind of mediocre and a couple of failures, including one grand disastrous failure, which happened four years ago, which redefined my life and brought me to the awareness and enlightenment and understanding of, of how to create real value in the world. Yeah. And, uh, and that secret, what happened in that failure. I mean, basically I went from being, I've been broke twice along the way. This was the second time I had been broken. I mean, really broke in my entrepreneurial career. Uh, the entrepreneurial life is not always easy. Right. Um, m- most creators like me uh, don't are not entrepreneurs for money. Are not creators because they're trying to make more money. They want more freedom.
3: Yes.
2: Right. And so we're creators because we want to be free.
3: Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, the the part of that freedom is 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 having financial independence but that's very risky along the way right and you go to the edge several times and I went over the edge twice including uh, four years ago where I lost virtually well basically everything millions I went from being you know a multimillionaire to to uh, uh, to uh, to very broke wow. and uh, and I was also older so I was like I was fifty two right and um it was just an interesting article in the financial times last week that you know entrepreneurial entrepreneurial entrepreneurs who launch startups at 50 and older are twice as likely to succeed as a 30 year old right so age does have a few advantages.
1: Yeah. I'm with you I'm um, in the 50s. I'm almost 60 so yeah. I'm really
0: glad you're my business partner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh wisdom and judgment matters. Right? Yeah. Life uh, this achievement this you know this this finding our journey towards freedom and financial independence is not a straight line. Yes. Right? It takes a lot of it's like life it takes a lot of takes a lot of crisscross. So but anyway going broke really was at my age was quite, kind of horrifying. And I went into a, a, a deep place of grief and shame, deep shame. I'd, I'd never, nothing like this had ever really happened to me before in this grand of a way.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. And, uh, and the other time when I'd gone broke before, I was much younger. Right. And so, and I also, the other time when I went broke, I was the only one that lost money in this deal. I would raised money from a bunch of friends. And so I had friends who lost millions of dollars as well. Oh. So that was really, that was really where I just, just owned this deep sense of shame and grief
3: Yeah,
2: from that. And that desperation, we typically, we, we usually more, most often we find these, these, opportunities to sort of elevate ourselves in our darkest, darkest time. And this was definitely the darkest time I had ever experienced. Yeah. Uh, I was grief stricken and shamed to paralyzation. Right? And for people who've been through this, they'll, they'll know what, 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 how, how that feels. Yeah. And so there was no secret to getting out of it other than meditation. So this is where I discovered meditation was during this really, really, really dark place. And from that began my awakening. And that awakening began my awareness of manifestation.
3: Mm.
2: Right. So we're all manifesting every second of the day. It's just a question of what we're manifesting and how aware we are of our manifestations. And the problem with the problem with awareness is that our mind is so busy and clogged, right, with, um, with the trauma of thinking, right, that we block that trauma, that thinking blocks our channels of abundance. It also blocks our creativity, right? And so that's where meditation is very helpful in training the mind to – release and surrender from that trauma. And that trauma for most of us started from childhood. Uh, we're all broken. Humanity is very fragile. Yeah. It's a very fragile existence. Our heart is very fragile. And so some of us, although we're broken, some of us, as I had for many decades, uh, were just very good at acting like I was fixed.
3: Hmm.
2: Right? But but not until meditation, until this awareness and surrender of the trauma that has chased most of us since childhood. I'm not enough, not tall enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not rich enough, whatever you're not enough is. Right?
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: So this meditation uh, allowed me to manifest the next stage. And so I created a list of 18 business rules that became my personal manifesto. Todd, from,
1: can, I, can I ask you a question going back just a tad? Um, how did you discover meditation and was it any particular kind?
2: Well, in my case, it was just, I was broke. So I wasn't going to, to TM to pay a $1,700 fee for a mantra. Right? <laughs> so in my case, it was, it was just concentrated meditation. And I learned about it on a podcast. During this time of grieving and recovery, one thing I did do was spend my days. I wasn't able to work. I was literally paralyzed but yeah. I I fortunately my parents were able to help me out so I wasn't destitute but but it did allow me some freedom to recover. One of the things I did do was I listened to podcasts daily and a lot. Yeah. I um I listened to um a lot of Tony Robbins. I listened to a lot of Tim Ferriss. I listened to many, many podcasts. Now, most of those podcasts I've now been guest on.
3: Yeah. Cool. Um,
2: I read books. I kept my mind busy with positive thought, although that really wasn't doing a lot for me uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't internalized. We can't, we can't trick the mind. We can't just think positive and everything's going to be okay. Right. That, 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 that's a, a widespread message I just don't believe in. We we have to get, we have to peel back all those layers of trauma. We have to peel back all that has been burdened on over the years, right? As we've been pretending to be fixed. This is a particular problem in social media today. It's like, you know, you go to my Facebook page to see how wonderful and fabulous life I live, right? right. And, so it, and so it's like, you know, we, we, pretend to be fixed until we pull back the layers off of that onion and really become aware and really welcome silence into our life. I think it's very hard to to begin that repair that becomes a path of, of toward enlightenment. Now, I know all that sounds woo woo, but, so I discovered, I discovered meditation on a podcast. I was in such a dark place. I had tried to meditate before. And like most people, I had failed at meditation because i couldn't stop thinking yeah that's the number one reason people say they don't meditate i can't stop thinking well you know there's meditation is a practice in my case i benefited day one episode one practice one you know uh, because i was in such a dark place i was willing to try anything i was even suicidal at times Mm -hmm. right And so, meditation for me was a whole awakening into a spiritual connection with the universal source energy that is connected in throughout nature and through with each of us and within each of us and around us. Yeah. Right. Most of us just can't tap into that source energy.
3: Right.
2: So, from that awareness, I created a personal manifesto, which was these 18 rules based on all the things I had learned in business and life, particularly in creating a new business, I'm not employable. So I was going to have to create another enterprise. Right. And so.
1: And and that, I mean, that, that moment, and we're really interested in that because again, to go from the failure and the depression and the depths of despair where you were, just can't, You know that really looking forward to that. It's like, How do you at that point make that decision versus being afraid to fail again so colossally?
2: Well, again, this is where meditation, meditation removes fear, right? Meditation removes, not day one, it's a practice. It's gonna take a little time. I think a minimum effective dose is 20 minutes a day. I meditate about 40 minutes every morning as part of my package of morning rituals, right? And so, the, uh, but meditation, look, fear cannot persist in the presence of gratitude. Mm,
3: right.
2: Darkness cannot persist in the presence of light. Yes.
3: Yeah.
2: And so once we're able to tap into the universal light that is love that we all abundantly deserve, what I call conscious abundance, a practice state of harmony from which meditation is the foundation. Mm. I think first of all, you start with how understanding how the mind works in its destructive ways. And I recommend Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now to understand how the mind works. Now, he doesn't offer much of a prescription about what to do next, but it does a really, really great job of helping you understand why the mind is so destructive.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And most of us are standing in our own way right? And until we can open up this channel of awareness and quiet the mind to receive the abundance, joy and love we all deserve and is our birthright grant, right? We're born innocent and without fear. You know, we are born with light. We learn darkness along the way and that manifests into fear and resistance.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. And so that's, so that's what, so I took that manifesto of those 18 business rules, which I'm happy to, to share with you if we have time.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and, and and from that, I manifested the creation, not knowing that it was going to be this company. Yeah. But then what happened with this company was I launched it with zero money, zero debt, and zero investors, and grew at 60,000% in three years. Wow. Um, and which is, you know, a more than 600 X increase in revenue today. Yeah. And so today, now there's two reasons we, we credit meditation for most of that, but we also, as you know, we also have a really great product, Yes. but a lot of people have great products. There's a lot of creative artists who do great things and they're really talented, but that doesn't mean they're going to be successful.
3: Yeah.
2: When I say, yeah, yeah. There's a bottle of our wine.
1: We'll get into more of that. But yes, you definitely have
2: a great product. So anyway, the, the great product helps, but, but you know, we begin, you know, my morning begins with first making my bed. It's the very first thing I do when I get up. And I make it with craft and pride because I really want to see something that's beautiful. I want to have an early win. I want to have like a place that starts that, that's how I start my day. Yeah. Did we record there? I froze up for a moment. Did yeah, you,
1: you, We could still hear your voice just okay, a, minute, great. For a minute and it's Perfect. on our side. That's a
2: really important thing. I think beginning your day with that early when with pride and sort of like creating something is really important. Yeah. It also sets order in the room, You know, which is why I do this particularly in a hotel room because I want order in the room because having order around me allows me to think more quietly and to create at a higher frequency. Yeah. Right From there, I do 40 minutes of meditation and then a cold shower. That's cold in and cold out, no warm. That's not where I bathe, but I just do a cold shower to reset my nervous system to sort of release endorphins. Then I work out, go to the gym or whatever my fitness routine of the day is. And then from there, I meet with my company. There's 22 of us. Uh, We're hiring, so if anybody's looking for a job, dryfarmwines.com forward slash jobs we'll
1: include that in the show notes yeah do they yeah. need to uh locate to your location yes
2: yes it, it, they would relocate to napa but but anyway it's it's yes, uh dryfarmwines.com forward slash jobs so anyway but you here's the thing to
1: Relocate to napa yeah for to work at a fantastic amazing <laughs> company which you're getting ready to hear more about now so go ahead yeah
2: so our day because so from the gym or my fitness routine whatever it is to that day i have various routines um As you may also know, I only eat once per day, uh, so I don't eat breakfast or lunch. So from the gym, I go to my office where I meet with, if I'm in town, where I meet with our staff of 22, and where we begin the day at 10, where we do an hour of meditation together uh, in what we call the circle of love. And so this meditation and other grateful practices and other rituals that we practice between 10 and 11 or 1130, and then we begin our day in a very peaceful, very present state. Wow.
3: Um,
2: and so anyway, that's, that's kind of what, what what the morning looks like. But I think anybody at my company would tell you that, you know, we create and manifest this kind of abundance in our life and this harmony in our life with the foundation of meditation.
3: Yeah.
2: And, you know, our our business group, you know, when, when we – um, when we started in, you know, 2006, uh, late 2015, I mean, revenue for 2015 was $37,000 for the entire year. Um, this year we'll do 30 million.
1: Oh my gosh. That's, incredible. you know, so
2: yeah, I mean, which is just a pretty, pretty astounding with no debt or no investment. Right. right? Oh, so. Gosh. So anyway, and, and and the great thing is we're doing something that we all love, right? So you're only going to create at the highest frequency, really, with awareness and doing something that you love,
3: yeah.
2: right? So let me run down these 18 business rules and then we'll talk about wine real quick because I think they're really important.
3: Okay.
2: Um, for me, I wanted to build related income streams from enlightened experiences. I'm reading from the manifesto and those... Those experiences could be better living, design, food, nutrition, fitness, wine, travel, pastime, retreats, or taste. Those were things that I was super passionate about, right? And so I'd written this before Dry Farm Wines, months before Dry Farm Wines even became uh, a concept or a thought. And then the rules are, I, it must be passion-driven, something I would do for free and for the rest of my life. Uh, also, a business that we do not want to sell. This is number yeah. two. Let's start at the top, real quick. We'll okay. just hit okay. it again, real fast. All
1: right. One second. Are we recording now? Yes. Sir. Okay. Okay. So go ahead. Sorry about that. I, we've got some overcast and clouds, so sure. it's unstable. Okay.
2: Go ahead. So, from the manifesto, I reading from the manifesto. I wanted to build brand-related income streams from enlightened experiences of things that I was interested in, which included better living, design, food, taste, nutrition fitness, wine, travel, and retreats, yeah. travel, pastime. Those yeah. were things I was really passionate about, like you know, design and art, and I wanted to create. Mm-hmm. And so then I developed these 18 business rules based on everything I'd learned before, and that is it must be passion-driven, something I would do for free and for the rest of my life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: A business we do not wanna sell. See, m- most businesses, the startup culture today is about exiting. You know, I, I, I don't want to exit. I want to create something that is so wonderful. I don't want to sell it, Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. right?
2: Purpose driven to share and teach enlightened knowledges and create experiences for others. Exploit the power of reach and networks, placing no limits on market reach. And that's the internet,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? So if creators want to. All right. Yeah. We're so back. exploit the power of reach and networks, placing no limits on the market reach, which is the internet and for artists that's particularly important, right? To find a way to not limit themselves in, in, uh, in where they go. Don't work with people who I don't love. Don't work with customers who I don't love. Mm-hmm. And that's really important because in many businesses prior to this, I had had, I had, had a handful of large customers, right? What I wanted is thousands of tiny customers, right? So that if a customer was rude, you know, we, yeah. we, we'd be able to dismiss that customer. Right? Yeah. When you have a business that is, you have large, a handful of large customers, then they're going to dictate your life. Yeah. Right. And uh, <clears throat> revenue preferred to be recurring or subscription, which ours is. Unit economics are strong early and cost reductions with scale, which has happened for us as well. So what that means is, you know, oftentimes people start, I think one of the most important mistakes that Entrepreneurs make is they don't charge enough for their product. They don't have enough. They don't have strong economics, and so they believe if I come out and I'm cheaper and you know I'll make up for it in volume. That's just a flawed idea. You need to have very strong economics early on, and then you want to scale those economics in the in the other direction. Not 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 scale hoping to make more money with more people, but as you scale, you reduce your cost, mm-hmm. right? Revenue is process dependent, not people or personality dependent. And what that means is that I don't want to hire any salespeople, mm-hmm. right? Because salespeople fundamentally are a problem to manage. Has been my experience. And so when you have salespeople, you're then people dependent. It depends on their personality and how they're feeling today, yeah.
3: right? Yeah. yeah right. True.
2: I didn't. I didn't want. I not want any personality dependence in the revenue in in the revenue generation. I want it to be a great product that people understand and and can appreciate and get and doesn't require anybody to sell the moment,
3: Right. right?
2: That it be transformational, not just transactional, as our business is. Our wines transform people's lives. This is another really important, no accounts receivable. Now, what that means is the moment you hold an accounts receivable, you get in the collections business. So if you extend credit to somebody, you're going to get in the collections business shortly thereafter
3: yeah
2: but this is particularly problem also for creators and artists or graphic designers or people who have small agencies right they 're extending credit to these big companies right and then they have to chase them down and get their money yeah this is a huge issue uh, primary travel to places that inspire and replenish i didn 't want to be i didn 't want to be traveling to um, places i didn 't want to be right like business centric <laughs> places that didn 't inspire or replenish me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no outside capital, unless it was debt for hard asset acquisitions. What that means, unless it was real estate debt, no debt, no service debt. This is another really important thing. Once we take on debt, we become we become a servant to that debt, right? So if we're able to to if we're able to move, f- figure out when you manifest these things, these ideas will come to you. You know when you create. Uh, Hard asset cash flow that supports managed leverage, which is cash flow from the business to support real estate acquisitions for for investment, which is what we've done. Mm. Stable cash flow that supports lifestyle and is never at risk. That comes from subscriptions. Mm. Uh, Keep stress is very important. Keep stress from compressing execution and compromising creativity. So whenever we're stressed, you know, we, 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 and this can come from just not practicing meditation. Stress is very easy to creep into our life, but it always compromises creativity. Yeah. And for creators, we need to live in a free space. Yeah. Freedom is the single most important thing to a creator. It's certainly not money. Yeah. If money were the single most important thing to me, I'd be a way, way richer than I am. Freedom has always been, you know, my, 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 my main thing. So allow time for focus on managing and creating our rituals of peace. So you're this morning, you know, we don't start working or creating. We don't start creating to the public until between 11 and 1130 in the morning. That's ridiculously late for most businesses. Yeah. But we think protecting the morning is really important to set the day of peace. If you get up in the morning and you're rush, 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 from the moment you get out of the bed, you're not going to you're not going to manifest a day of peace.
3: Right.
2: You're not going to manifest a lower vibration because that stress lowers the vibration, the frequency from which we vibrate in the connected source energy. Yeah. And then minimize employees and maximize culture.
3: Hmm.
2: The reason you're going to minimize employees is because most of the stress in your life is created by other people. Hmm. Um, and so we want you know our interview process takes about two months for us to interview a candidate and cost us between five and $7,000 per person yeah. who goes all the way through the process. We consider hiring to be the single most important thing we do. The people you surround yourself with are going to have the biggest impact on the outcome of your life. Not only your achievements, but more importantly, the peace of your life.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. And so getting those right people around you is super, super critical.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, So anyway, that's that's sort of how I think about business.
1: So those are the 18 things. So, um, you know, I heard you say on Ben Greenfield's podcast that your basically your workday then, since it starts around 1130, um, is about six hours. And yet you have grown, like you said, you know, like, what is it, 600, 6,000? What what was the percentage of growth?
2: 60,000%, about 600X in revenue.
1: Yeah. 60,000% increase. And yes, six hours a day. So you're still not working more and yes, you need to hire some more people. Um, And I understand we're meditators. I, you know, have been for many years and understand the principles of meditation uh, impacting and affecting the stress levels and your productivity and all of that. But that's still really phenomenal. I mean, that is just amazing. Like how is it that you are able to maintain and grow so exponentially and still have, you know, so few actual work hours in a day?
2: Yeah, yeah I, you know, we believe that it's from the manifestation of this you know, a practice state of harmony from being harmonious with one another and the energy and vibration we put out into the world reflects back at us. So our, our biggest focus is on creating beauty and creating love in the world. You know, it's sharing this abundance of this discovery that we've made through these amazing organic, naturally made wines, and there are only a few hundred producers in the world, only growers that make these wines. And so it's, you know, for us, we just think about manifesting that love and sharing that beautiful energy that's within the bottle. And so from that, you know, we believe the universe mirrors back whatever energy we're putting out there. And if we have a mindset of scarcity, scarcity will reflect back at us. And if we have a mindset of abundance, like I give you an example. Oh, there are many, but I just give you one. Like we have a hundred percent happiness guarantee. That means any bottle that you don't like for any reason, we never question it. And we spend, we encourage people to complain or return anything that they don't love. And we, sp- or, or anything that's damaged or anything they think might be damaged from, from shipping. Last year, we spent a million dollars giving away free wine in this happiness guarantee. Now, most of that, many times that was like, well, we're going to send you two bottles for your inconvenience. We're going to replace the one, we're going send you another. Or if somebody says, "Hey, I didn't love your wines. I didn't. I, I, they didn't do what you said." We just give you. You keep the wine. We will give you a hundred percent refund, right? But these. It's just like we want to put that abundance into the world, yeah. Right. And so it's like we want to make everybody very happy. Yeah. And so most people, you know, most of these issues are, as an example, like sometimes winter or summer weather, there'll be damages or You know, I mean, it's like, but again, it's like most businesses are finding or trying to find ways to compress that cost. We never talk about compressing it. We don't care. You know, we, we, we want to make sure that every single person has a hundred percent happiness experience and we have an, we have an obsessive focus on, on our customers experience. Right. And so, and that includes our emails and all of our communications, which we invest a lot in making them beautiful. Yeah. You know, and, and, and making them feel yeah. creative and replenishing. You do. I, love,
0: I absolutely love your um, Matter of Taste YouTube series. Mm. And the, what are you calling them? The still arts. The still arts you're making with the bottles of wine are replicating.
1: What's the term? I had the term from
0: the videos, but, but the videos you did, basically showcasing and setting out the wines in an amazing form, from like Italy to Spain to wherever you were, and those were just enriching yeah and i think that like the best they art are. is the art where you watch it you consume it and you feel the energy that was put into making it from the person who had the idea to the production to the final showcasing of what it is whether it's a bottle of wine that you guys ship or a video of you guys feasting or making mm-hmm. these amazing artworks
1: yeah definitely so-
2: these wines are are grown on very small organic farms family farms in Europe where the whole family typically works at the farm and it's it's very different than what people think of as wine in America you know like coming to Napa Valley where i live and there's these tasting rooms and everything's glamorous and that's not at all what this is about this is about activist farmers who care about living soils and biodiversity you know, who are obsessed with farming and the grape growing. They don't really think much about winemaking because wine is grown in the vineyard. By the time it gets to the cellar, nothing should happen other than fermentation was a 100% natural process for natural winemaking. It's not a natural process for the wines you see in your grocery store. Those are fermented with commercial lab grown GMO yeast. But in natural winemaking, there's yeast on the skin of every grape, and if the grape juice is allowed to come in contact with that yeast, it will naturally ferment without the addition of anything. So the natural wine grower sees wine as grown in the vineyard, not made in the cellar, right? Okay. And so that, 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 that fingerprint, that signature of love is really about the soil, and it's really about biodiversity on the farm, and I give you a great example. If you've been to the farmer's market, right? You go to to a wonderful farmer's market and you look at the organic vegetables and fruits that are there and they're so lush and picturesque and they're just like filled with vibrant love, right? They're filled with such energy when you look at it. You just want to take a picture of it. Now, you look at that same vegetable in whole foods that's also organically grown, right? It doesn't look like that. Right. And that just just because something's organic doesn't mean it has that signature of love from a small family farm that cultivates and cares about living soils because the soil is the soul inside of a wine. No soil, no soul. Right. And so that's the reason these wines are so magical and have such energy. Right. Is this the same thing about growing vegetables? Same thing for growing grapes. It's just that the small family farm who cares about more than just making money really cares about the earth and cares about the cultivation of living soil and biodiversity on the farms. They have bees and orchards and forestation, and you know this is all what is before monocultural farming really became conventionalized in the 1940s, all farms were this way, yeah right. And so it was when we went from polycultural agriculture, you know, which is biodiversity on the farm where you have animals and orchards and bees and flowers and forestations and, and, and living soils, right? Yeah. Right now, most all the soils in the world are industrially farmed, including yeah. all the wines that you see in your grocery. And again, I don't care if it's organic or not. That's not the only thing. Right. right. Organic is one step, but it's, there's a whole lot that follows the organic. Same example I just used about, you know, when you look at vegetables from a farmer's market versus what you see in whole foods, they're organic, but they're not the same.
3: Yeah,
2: That's the reason the small family farm and also one of the amazing things, and I know we're coming up on time, but one of the amazing things that about supporting the f- small family farm is that we, you know, we are proud to, uh, to pay these farmers fair trade pricing, right? And so which allows them to prosper and to continue their commitment to earth and their commitment to this way of life into the next generation. So we're not like Whole Foods trying to lean down you know, on farmers for discounting and and, you know, we're, we're bringing this whole living organism that is from soil to your sweet lips. Right. right, in support of these small family farms.
1: Right. Well, you. So, Todd, you were. Um. In. You have been enjoying wine. Pre- and you returned to your roots as you created this 18-point manifesto. Are we still connected? I uh, just got notification. Okay. Good. Um, as you created your manifesto and began to visualize this, what it is, what expression, what creative. Ex- expression, this manifestation. Which, uh, no, okay, no. you're back. Sorry about that. Um, uh, that your creative journey would take with this 18-point manifesto, returning to the roots of your wine and your love for wine. You, in that process, made some of the discoveries yourself about all of the story that you're telling about the wine, the story of wine, the story of the roots of the wine, the grapes and, and the growing of it, to the story of the European and I guess not just in Europe, I think South Africa as well, where you get some of, curate some of your wines. So that was a discovery, you know, you, that was a journey of discovery and like what form your business would take. I can see from your description, and it's so clear that you have a passion for it, that, that you, even though you never liked the business aspect of it, that as a creator, you have totally created art in business. Um, So, you know, your business is an artistic expression of you and your values and your essence, I think so. But tell us just a little bit because I know, like you said, we're short on time. Uh, We can go a little over if you can. You have a, if you have yeah, a, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Okay. Sure. okay, cool. So, so you basically, you don't grow, uh, wine. you don't grow, grow grapes. Uh, you don't have a vineyard in other words, and you don't make the wine, but rather you curate it from around the world. You make these trips, you take some of your employees with you and you rotate who gets to go. So no matter their position in your company, they get to experience part of the world with you, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how did you re- go from that 18 point manifesto to, deciding what to do and, and doing it. Like, how did that unfold?
2: Well, I mean, the, the manifesto was written six months or more before this business was even concepted. It wasn't really, it was, it was a manifestation. The business came to me, right? I, I, I was trying to solve a personal problem. Like I wanted to drink healthier wines, were causing me to feel bad. I had become ketogenic. I, you know, had, uh, was on a path of repair and awareness and awakening. Uh, but I love drinking wine and, and I couldn't drink standard wines anymore. I didn't know why
3: mm-hmm. I thought it
2: was just, I thought it was driven by higher alcohol because wines have been wine levels, alcohol levels have been increasing in wine steadily year over year for the last 20 years. The wine out, al- the wine industry loves alcohol. Uh, because it's addictive, and um, and it's also a very dangerous neurotoxin. Mm. And, um, and, and, and the other thing alcohol does is it impairs our judgment. So in such a way that, see, the more we drink, it's a domino drug. The more we drink, the more we want to drink. Right. So we get sucked into this wormhole. So that's the reason we only sell low-alcohol wines, um, much, much lower than the industry standard, and so it's uh, wine, is, uh, wine is a beautiful, beautiful spiritual thing. Alcohol is a very dangerous drug, right? And so we have to be very careful with dosage where alcohol is concerned, which is, again, the only reason. But I, I initially thought it was this higher alcohol. And so I started pursuing lower alcohol wines and discovered from a friend that there were some being made in Europe. And we sell wines from 6%. Uh, domestic U.S. wines are now nearly averaging 15%. We don't sell anything over 12 and a half, and as low as 6%. And so, the the uh, and yes, you still get high. So don't worry about that. It's just it's just you know it's the question of how high do you get and how fast do you get high.
3: Yeah. This
2: is really what impacts the creative expression. So, but initially I thought it was just alcohol, and I come back to what the creative expression thing in a moment, but what I thought it was this higher alcohol. So I started trying to find lower alcohol wines after discovering that there were some being made in Europe in that process. I discovered at that time, which was very, very small and emerging the natural wine movement. I'd never heard of a natural wine. I thought all wines were natural. <laughs> and that's what I tell people. It's like when natural wines and they're like, well, on, are wines natural? Right? Well, in fact, they're not. Right. So, and, and just why they're not natural, I'll just give you a couple of points so you can go down that wormhole, but there's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking in the United States. And so these wines are literally filled with toxins.
1: Now, right. let me just ask you about that for a minute, because I looked it up after hearing you say that. And the thing about the 76 additives is is they're not all bad additives, like on the 76 list included is things like bay leaves and basil and oregano and, you know, the things that you would normally. I think I
0: saw diatomaceous earth on diatomaceous it. Diatomaceous
1: earth, which is actually a sub, I you know food grade mm-hmm. is a supplement now. So, so it's really not that there are 76 additives in wine. I'm guessing that from that list, there may be a dozen or so that are, that could it's be about a-
2: 15 nasty characters in there. Okay. I mean, <laughs> ammonia phosphate.
1: Okay. Yeah. You know Heavy
2: metals. Yes. Um, uh, one in particular very commonly used to that's super super toxic right that's commonly used to treat the most common bacterial fault in wine called bretomyces this this compound that's so toxic you have to hire a specialty contractor who's licensed who comes in and has mat suits to treat the wine right the winery has to be the winery has to be um, vacated for 24 hours, and if you were to drink the wine 20 within 24 hours after purchase, you would die. After treatment, you would die, right. and the government still allows up to 200 parts per million of residual chemical in the wine. So yes, there are some, you know, there are some innocuous additives or treatments like using egg whites for fining, or which is not friendly to vegans, but yeah. you know the rest of us wouldn't care about egg whites necessarily, but there's some really dangerous chemicals in that list as well. Yeah. But the public doesn't know anything about this, and here's the reason why. The wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars feathering the nest of politicians to keep nutritional and contents labeling off of wine. So wine is the only major food group without an ingredients label. Now, if it had an ingredients label, it would look just like the rest of processed food ingredients labels. They have a whole bunch of names and chemicals and additives and stabilizers and color agents and treatments to the wine that you had no idea what they are. It's yeah. just like reading any other processed food label. You don't even know what the stuff is. You don't know yeah. if it's good or bad. Right. You know, I mean, it, you, you don't know. You're not a chemist. Yeah. Right. But the, so the, there's this the fact that there's no ingredients or nutritional information on a bottle of wine is not an accident. Right. The wine industry feeds these politicians tens of millions of dollars every year to keep, the, to keep this information off a wine bottle. It's not, there've been many efforts to get it on there, mm-hmm. but you know how Washington works.
3: Right. Well,
2: some I mean, of so, the
1: bottles have the ingredients, which we were delighted to see, yeah, as well.
2: So, but we, Dry Farm Wines, we do independent lab testing on every wine. So every wine curated by us is also independently lab tested by us. So Even kind of
1: the, you, you, go to, you go to Italy, you get some wine in France and whatever, and you come back with a, you know, a suitcase full of bottles. You take them and test them, and then you decide to order in volume? Is that how that it, works? It, it,
2: can, it, can manifest, it can play out in several different ways. So they may sh- send us samples from, from Europe. We don't sell any domestic wine, there's no domestic wines made that meet our standards of purity and our quantifications, right? If there were, we would sell them. Okay. Um, There is some possibility this year that we've been approached by winemakers who want to make wines for us to our specifications in the United States. And if they can meet those specifications, we may introduce those. But um, until now, no domestic wines have met our criteria and we have very strict criteria, which you can see on our website. So, they may send us samples. If we're in Europe at the at the winery, we we will we have test tubes and we'll pull samples directly from the tank and ship those samples back to our certified analogists in California who do lab testing on every wine that we buy. So it could be either they're sending us samples. We don't usually bring bottles back on the plane, we just usually bring these little test tubes. They're like um Uh, five milliliters that allow us to send it to our analogy lab to do testing for us. But every single wine and every single vintage gets tested. Just because a wine met our criteria last year doesn't mean the current vintage will qualify. You know, something could have changed in terms of whether it has sugar in it or whether the alcohol is too high or, and by the way, the alcohol stated on a wine bottle is not required by the government to be accurate. Well, wow. it can be as much as a percent and a half above what's stated. So if it says 14%, it can be fifteen and a half percent and still be legal. Right. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things. and Everything I've shared with you, you can search on Google and, yeah. you know, you can see that, you know, you can search FDA wine additives and page will pop right up with, with all of them or, you know, you can um, uh, you can search, you know, truth and alcohol labeling on wine or whatever, it'll, the, the law will come right up. The TTB,
3: right.
1: which,
2: uh, is the former ATF, you know, it used to be alcohol, tobacco, and firearms until Waco. Now it's called the uh, trade and tax bureau. Seems a little bit more innocuous. Yes. Still, you, know, you know, it's still, uh, still governing the same crazy combination. I'm not sure what wine and firearms had to do with one another, but that's, uh, that's kind of how, uh, how it worked out. So anyway, there's, there's uh, so, you know, we, we so I discovered, discovered this natural wine movement. And from that, because I live in Napa Valley and I had made wine in the past, and I knew a lot about it, I started doing these independent lab tests.
3: Hmm. And I
2: started drawing these quantifications between wines that I liked, that met certain lab comp- quantifications, and then narrowed this down into, a specific created a specific type of offering i started sharing these wines with friends and they're like oh my god where do we get these wines it's like this is awesome i feel better no hangover it's like you know where can i get these wines and so i was like well you can't right they're very difficult to find and nobody really quantifies them in this way so that's sort of how this got invented and then the rest is sort of history uh, in terms of, I started telling the story on podcasts, and millions of people have heard it. And yes. so, consequently, they came to our website. And uh, but I want to talk about close up here real quickly with sort of you know I talk often about the dangers of alcohol and how toxic it can be. And but but I want to talk about really wine and low alcohol wines that have not been sterilized. Mm-hmm. This is an important. This is in the list of 76 additives. So all the wines you see in your grocery store have been sterilized with sulfur dioxide. That's on the list of 76. And sulfur dioxide, what it does is it kills everything in the wine, all the living bacteria, to make it shelf-stable and to have it taste sort of very consistent bottle to bottle, right? Because you want to have every bottle of wine is a... If it's not been sterilized, if it's not been killed, every bottle is a living creature mm. filled with gut-friendly bacteria, filled with microbiome, filled with over 800 polyphenols and antioxidants mm. in red wines, fewer in white wines.
3: Right.
2: So this this living thing, this energy that's in the bottle that hasn't been sterilized produces a very different, and particularly at lower, lower alcohol levels, produces a very different type of buzz and a very different type of outcome that's the spirit this energy that's inside the bottle and so that's the wines that we sell and what the beautiful thing about those wines and also keeping alcohol dosage down is that i don't drink during the daytime and i don't recommend that anybody else does either for a host of reasons we won't cover but when i drink it's around the dinner table with friends and family new and old sharing this magical energy that's within this bottle really really the aromatics the perfumes of this creation that is an expression of terroir the place where it was grown Mm -hmm. right because it's also unirrigated all of our wines are dry farmed right you can't irrigate a grapevine and have terroir sense of place because the grapevine doesn't relate to the place it gets all of its nutrients all of its water from the surface of in this little tube above the trunk yeah right and so anyway that this this when you drink these these magical wines this kind of spiritual experience you have in heightened creative expression and most importantly that window of vulnerability comes down a bit we become more emotionally accessible right and with more emotional accessibility this is when we're able to share our real self. Mm. You know, this is when we're able to generate love with each other. We just, it does a lot about what meditation does. It just kind of opens up and makes us more available. Yeah. Anytime, a, one of
1: know, the differences, I, sorry. go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that one of the differences is, you can meditate with someone, but it's not exactly a shared experience. It may be a shared space. Whereas when you're having a good food and wine, it's a shared experience as well. Mm -hmm.
2: It is. And I like to think of, you see, we think of, we think of wine as a spiritual, a spiritual creation of the grower. Right. And from the soils, it's a real expression of the soil. And, and so we, you know, we drink to have this, expression and experience we don't drink to check out many people are drinking to check out we drink to tap in
3: yeah oh i love that yeah that's a good right
2: we want to drink to tap in to share that 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 heart and soul and when we share love which wine allows us to open up and, and be free and be more connected when we share love we think love is the single most fundamental thing about being a human yeah And wine allows us to share this love in a closer, more connected way.
3: Definitely.
2: And and also in a more creative way. And so that's kind of how we think about drinking and how we think about what that means.
1: So, Todd, that's beautiful, and we love that you shared that here as well. And a lot of when you – most of the time when you speak, you speak as we. And yet you're the one, as the visionary entrepreneur – and the 18-point manifesto, who basically created the space within which this incredible thing has been created. So I know now when you say "we," that you're including the pe- all the members of your company. You know, everyone that buys into your philosophy, who participates in it because they agree with it, and they are, you know, lucky to work for such a place, kind of thing. So I just want—I just wanted sort of like to give tribute to you of how. Um, strong and entrepreneur vision, entrepreneurial vision and visionary you, you are in order to create such a vessel of space within which so much magic can happen.
2: Yeah. Or when we live, this isn't about me, right? Yeah. I, I'm just the facilitator. Yeah. This is about we, this experience we're having right now is about we, this experience we're having when, with your audience is about we, everybody is participating. We're yeah. just participating in different ways,
3: Right. you know,
2: and so it's, you know, we're manifesting, yeah. you know, we're creating together.
3: Yeah. And
2: so to say me or that I'm responsible for any of this is really not true. I mean, none of this would be possible without all of the components, including this moment we're sharing right now. None of this would be possible without we, you know, the citizens of the earth, right, Yes. Uh, brothers and sisters, all, it takes a village. You know, we, 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 none of us do anything along, none of us are self-made. We're all created by the expressed collective energy that is we, yeah. right? I mean, what's wrong with our world is that we have lost touch with that connection. Yeah. You know, from fear, primarily, and anxiety, yeah, and darkness, has separated us. Yeah. And we have certain forces out there that benefit from those separations. Right. Right. That but that, there's that. no ancestral basis for us being separated.
1: Yeah. That's right. We're all bound
2: by love.
1: That's very true. Well and, and hope. You- And speaking of love and hope and and the beautiful emails and the wonderful wines, so we have enjoyed a number of different bottles from Dry Farm Wines. Our favorites are the red, um, but we've enjoyed the rosé, the white sparkling, and the Bordeaux, the rouge, the um, and so anyway, a number of them we will definitely link. To dry farm wines, I love the story about the grape roots. Some of them can go as deep as 30 feet, and mm. the reason for the name dry farm wines is that actually makes for a better grape. So that's beautiful. So we'll also link to some of the other uh, podcasts that you've done where you've elaborated on all of that. Yeah, so- we
2: yeah we didn't get much of a chance. We talked a lot about creating and not much about the wines. But uh, I do have a special offer for your audience today. They can get a penny bottle of wine.
3: Okay. And they just
2: need to go to the link. You can put this in your show notes, but if they're listening, they just go to the, to the, uh, the page dryfarmwines.com forward slash I create.
0: Okay.
1: Awesome. Okay. Fantastic. Awesome. And this is
0: probably going to air next week. So we'll definitely include all of that in the, show notes. in the show notes. And
1: yeah, and we will let you know when it airs. And thank you so much for your yes. time and for sharing. Sorry
2: we ran long, but you know, it's just so yeah. much to
1: say. I know. I know. Okay. I know. We're so glad that we got to connect and no worries about running long. Thank you for your time. Thank you, you.
2: Much love to both of you and to everyone listening and make it a beautiful and soulful day.
3: Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye.